Hello, and welcome to the Dietitian Boss Podcast. My name is Yah. I'm an RD2B, Dietitian Boss Podcast co-host, and Dietitian Boss Method instructor. The Dietitian Boss program empowers dietitians and nutritionists to create their private practice from scratch and emboldens already established practitioners to think bigger. The Dietitian Boss Method provides a step-by-step process to improve how you market yourself on social media so you can become far more profitable and create more impact by working with the clients you truly want to work with. Every week on my solo episode, I will dive deep when answering questions submitted by you all via our Instagram story poll and comment section of our Instagram account. So stay tuned. On today's episode, we have Alexandra Fucarino. She is a registered dietitian in Tampa, Florida, with over 10 years experience in the field of nutrition. Alexandra received her BS and MS in food and nutrition science from Florida State University and completed her internship in clinical nutrition at the University of Delaware. Alex's passion for gut health began while working as a GI dietitian in an outpatient clinic. While there, she worked with many patients who experienced debilitating gut changes, such as SIBO, after undergoing major GI surgery. During this time, Alex became increasingly interested in understanding the complexity surrounding various GI-related disorders, such as IBS and Crohn's disease, and how diet plays an integral role in their treatment. Alex currently offers a group program where she empowers women with IBS on how to confidently manage their GI symptoms with evidence-based diet and lifestyle interventions. You can find her on Instagram at the IBS nutritionist. Welcome to the episode. Thanks, y'all. So excited to be here. Yeah. So let's kick it off with the big question. Everyone loves to hear where people started their grassroots stories. So can you share where you started and compare where you started to where you are now? For instance, did you have an Instagram when you started the program? What type of work? A little bit more about your GI dietetics work. And were you working primarily with your ideal client or were there some people that you had to see because you were in a hospital and how to serve whoever was on your list? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I started Libby's program, I had both a personal Instagram account as well as a somewhat professional Instagram account that I had linked to a blog that I had. So my blog started pretty much for fun. And to be honest, I don't really know what my end game was or how I expected to even make money from it. So like so many of Libby's clients have said, you know, it's just like a lot of food pictures and there was really no clear direction or who my ideal client was or who my audience was. So I really started to, you know, think about who I enjoyed working with the most, what patient population and really, you know, like you said, GI disorders, gut health, that's my passion. So I decided to go ahead and, you know, kind of niche down and focus on women with IBS. So now my Instagram is, you know, primarily targeted to a young woman with IBS. Yeah, that's very clear. A lot of times people struggle to niche down. There's so many people Mm -hmm. that you could potentially serve because you have the knowledge and the experience, but it does make it so much easier to create content, which we'll talk about in a bit. And let's talk a little bit about your current client. So you said you work with younger females with IBS and can you share like how the evolution occurred with, with your account and like working with this niche and getting specific to talking with them? Yeah. So I started out very broad thinking I just wanted to do any GI or digestive disorders um, or any digestive issues. But now I'm really super clear and specific about who my ideal client is. 
she even has a name. Her name is Sarah. She's 35. She works as an executive assistant. She's been diagnosed with IBS and suffers from painful bloating. And basically her doctors told her to follow the low FODMAP diet and she has nowhere to begin. So that's what I'm creating my content. That's who I'm focusing on. And by niching down, I can really make my content super specific to my ideal client. And it really does work. I've had so many leads and DMs from women who are my ideal client. And they've told me how much their content just sounds so much like the experience they've had and how much they can really resonate with it. So I really enjoy working with this population since, you know, like I said, gut health has always been a a passion of mine. And I feel like women with IBS in particular are so often told by healthcare providers that it's, you know, it's just IBS or it's all in their head. And they really don't get that support that they so desperately need and deserve. Yeah. And what's really helpful is that you gave her an identity. I think a lot of times when people sit down to create ideal client or avatar or soulmate client or whatever jargon people are slanging as it relates to the (laughs) ideal client, people think it can be corny or cheesy to give Mm -hmm. this person a name or an age or like career, but it does help because you're speaking to one person. Like when you show up to Canva, I bet it's like so easy to write to Sarah. It's like probably nature, (laughs) right? It is. And that's, you know, kind of the mindset I have, like when I'm creating stories and that makes it a lot easier for me too. If I'm picturing that person, Mm -hmm. like that's who I'm talking to and that's who I'm trying to help. Yeah. That's super duper helpful. And have you always had this dream of having your own private practice? And can you share three or four words that come to mind when you think about having your own private practice and what it affords you? Sure. So honestly, ever since college, I've always had the dream of having my own private practice. I decided to really, you know, bring that into fruition when I was on maternity leave. I actually had my son this past April and you know what went down in April, everybody was in lockdown. So we did a lot of walks because we couldn't have family or friends over, you know, and on those walks, I would listen to Libby's podcast and that really inspired me to just kind of take the plunge and, you know, start working with her and, and start this private practice up. And really when I think about having my own business, I think of the three F's, (laughs) freedom, flexibility, and fulfillment. So since having my son in April, you know, I really want to instill in him and show him that anything really is possible as long as you have the right mindset and you're willing to work for it. Yeah, I really love that. I think having that, I not even, I think I know having a strong why is so important. Mm -hmm. And part of getting into private practice is not so much about how much money you want to make, but really thinking about what it affords you. And I think it's that angle that's so critical and being able to have the grit and determination that you are most certainly going to need, because it's not easy by any means, even with everything laid before you, you still have to have it within yourself to persevere. So I love that you have this amazing framing about why you do this and that bigger picture of getting those three F's. And that's so powerful. And I hope the listeners are taking notes and they think of the words that it affords them and why they're really doing it. And it has to be bigger than money every month for sure. Absolutely. Yep. 
Because once the money comes, then then what? Right. Then you can yes. kind of feel like, oh, this is kind of easy. But if you're doing it for your child, well, he's going to be growing and you're going to like want to keep going like, OK, he's watching me. He's watching me. So that's <laughs> always going to be perpetual, which is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Thank you. And let's dive into some more about what it takes to build your practice. Um, it really comes down to no like and trust. And if you're coming from private practice, odds are you're probably not posting on social media for your job unless you're like in more of like a trendy private practice where they're really big on social media. But if you're coming from a traditional clinical setting, you've got HIPAA, you've got all these rules around technology. So it can be, you know, really tough. But once you've nailed it, it affords you an opportunity to reach millions and millions of people that need your help versus localized help. So can you give an example, and you kind of hinted at it earlier, when you felt like you built no like and trust. And part of it is to also show people that, yes, people will get to know you, like you, and want to inquire about your services on social media. <laughs> so I would love for you to share your example when you had that aha moment. Yeah. So I think I, I really started to feel like I was connecting with my audience when I started getting DMs from you know, women who I had never met who were struggling with IBS. You know, my first discovery call that I ever had, it, it went so well. And she told me how much she needed to work with someone with me. And it really made me feel like she trusted me enough to confide her struggles. And that's when I really knew things were falling into place with my marketing. Like I was reaching the people that I needed to reach. And that was so gratifying for me. Incredible. Yeah. A lot of times that first interaction, I think people shortchange it. Mm -hmm. It should really be cherished to like, to have someone that you don't know in particular. I like that you put that out there. A lot of people are like, well, my friend (laughs) and uncle's niece told me she needed help. She was kind of like my profile, Sarah, but you know, it's always, (laughs) we, we get those stories, but there's nothing like that first person where you're like, I don't know who you are. (laughs) Yep. I have no idea, but she felt comfortable enough with me. So, you know, I really focused on, you know, showing my face, like you guys preach. And I feel like she felt comfortable enough that she was sharing these personal struggles with me. And that was really powerful. Yeah, definitely. And let's transition to talking about goals. So knowing that you're establishing no like and trust, you know that there's this big goal that you're, you're working towards. So we, we love mm-hmm. encouraging dietitian bosses and dietitian bosses to set some short-term, long-term goals. They may not necessarily be money. It could be mindset related. It could be tech related. It could be consistently related. So can you share what some of your goals were when you started the program? Yeah. So my short-term goal, since I still have a uh, full-time job and I'm a also a a mom, a new mom. My short-term goal is to make $500 a month since this is still relatively new and a side hustle, but my long-term goal would be to make 10,000 a month. And so this would allow me to potentially leave my full-time job so that I could do private practice full-time and again, have more flexibility, have more time with my son. So I know that I can achieve this. And in order to do this, I just have to keep showing up and showing my face and continue to build that no like, and trust factor with my audience and ideal clients. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, you know, no income goal is too small or too big. Everyone's mm-hmm. on their own journey, and especially, you know, still having a full-time job, you know, extra $500. Like when you think about what that looks like, 
like you convert it into your clinical hours, you're kind of like, that could be a lot of extra work versus this is a little bit more enjoyment and there's, there's Mm -hmm. more to it. So every dollar is valuable. I always tell people, heck, if it's your first dollar in business, you should celebrate. If it's a consistent, whether it's $20, $50 or a hundred dollars, it really affords you an opportunity to get to that level that you've desired. So you, you should always celebrate it. So the the next thing I'd like to ask you is so far with putting forth all the the things you've learned in the method, how much money have you made and what has it afforded you? Yeah. So right now I've made $350. I have somebody right now that's going to be signing up for my next group program. So that'll be another 250. And right now the money I'm making is really kind of my fun money. So this is money that I'm not putting towards anything specific, but more uh, like memories and experiences with my son. This is just kind of play money for me right now. And honestly, making this money by by doing this, it doesn't feel like work, which is great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So right now it's, I'm really trying to make myself use it on just things that are going to be for fun with my Oh. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that is a, an awesome reason. Of course, who could ever say that's a bad idea? That's I a great know. idea. Awesome idea. So yeah, cool. That's, that's my why, you know, all of this really goes back to him. The, the work that I'm doing is again, to, you know, kind of build flexibility so that I have more time with him. And then, you know, like you said, it's, it's not all about the money, but the money is, helpful is nice. It's helpful. Definitely. Yeah. And it gives me more experiences. uh, For sure. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Money's definitely, it's, it's a factor. We all want money. (laughs) You have to also be passionate because also like kind of what you were saying, kind of the freedom and flexibility component. If you like what you do and you're like, you have fun with it, then the money becomes like comes easier, which is even better. But like having yes. it as like, okay, what are the some of the cool things that I can do? What will happen when this happens? Like, oh, I'll be able to hang out with my son. I'll be able to go on more trips and things like that. Then you're like, okay. Then when the money rolls in, it's like, it's so fun because you already have that vision of how you're going to spend it. So it's kind of yes. really cool to think of it from like what I can use my money for, who mm-hmm. this in my life can influence. Like, it's so cool to think about it. Like it that. is, it is. And part of the way, you know, you, that you're attracting clients and even this woman that's going to be in your group coaching program soon, congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> is creating content. And uh-huh. I know a lot of people get really scared about creating content. It's very easy to say, oh my God, I have no design skills or that's like super scary. So we've been asking <laughs> DB recently to share their content creation process, like, Hey, we're like, what are you doing to get really clear on like the words that are on your graphics? Like, where do you get inspiration from? Or do you just like, just kind of show up with an idea? Some people don't understand how it works. And I would love for you to share your process to inspire those out there that might be a little scared. So when developing messaging for my niche, I had to do a ton of market research. Since I don't have IBS myself, I can't speak to really what their biggest problem is without getting information from women who do have IBS to make my content really super clear. So I've joined a lot of different Facebook groups and chats and Reddit threads and asked people who I know personally that have IBS what their biggest issue is. And then 
through this research, I found that the biggest issue seems to be bloating. So I center a lot of my content around solving their biggest problem, which is the bloating. So a lot of my content focuses on following the FODMAP diet and how it can help to relieve the painful bloating. And as far as, you know, creating content, a lot of my inspiration does come from other dietitian boss accounts. And I've noticed my content has really evolved over time. So it kind of, you know, without even trying has evolved to have like a certain aesthetic quality to it. And I try to look at my insights every week too, so that way I can see uh, which posted the best as far as engagement and website clicks. And then I basically just try to do reiterations of those posts. I try to recreate those posts. And I think too, it's interesting because before this program, you know, I was really scared to, you know, put myself out there and, oh my gosh, what are people going to think as far as, you know, putting myself in the pictures, but I've really, you know, kind of stepped out of my comfort zone. And those are my posts and my content that do the best when I show my face. So I am thankful for this program for really pushing me out of my comfort zone. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that because that's ultimately the biggest hurdle to get over is the comfort zone hurdle, which a lot of people are, I'm going to sound like cliche, are very comfortable (laughs) in. Yeah, it's <laughs> very comfortable. And it's it's easy to kind of stay between hurdles. Like you have like the the hurdle of like, okay, I have the idea. Most people can get over mm-hmm. the idea hurdle. Like I'm going to do some curse research. Then it's the, I need to now get out of my comfort zone. And it's like, once you get over that hurdle that like all the magic happens and I appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing your journey. And hopefully it inspires others to finally kind of like, just take that leap. Even if it kind of the hurdle wobbles a little when they go over, (laughs) at least they try to get over it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I like to joke, Alex. I'm I know. I know. (laughs) And I love it. I mean, I have, you know, I have leaped over that hurdle now. In the beginning, it was quite wobbly, but I've gotten over it and it's been really beneficial. So awesome. And a big part of, yeah, no problem, Alex. And, you know, getting over that hurdle, it's like really that first step and being imperfect. Like it may wobble, it may tumble over, but getting over it is like really key. And that's why the method we teach people to start imperfectly. So no warm up stretches, no laps around the track. You just get over <laughs> yeah. it and just whatever happens, happens. So can you yep. share a time that you were given advice by a coach to just do something imperfectly and how you felt about it? Yeah. So a great example of this was when I was starting my group program. So I was absolutely petrified because I only had one person sign up and it was my first group. And I kept thinking, what if she expects a ton of other women? Um, What if she expects all these meal plans and handouts and all this other stuff I didn't have ready yet? So I kept wanting to push the date back, but you and Micah had told me, you know, Hey, just get started and learn as you go. And honestly, this was life-changing for me (laughs) because I realized that so many of these scenarios, particularly the worst case scenarios we make up in our head are blown way out of proportion. So I wound up running the group with just one person and she loved the one-on-one attention. And at the end of it, she was just raving how much she learned. So I learned that if I would have made like handouts and modules, they wouldn't necessarily have added anything for her. And that really the biggest value for her was just being able to chat with me and pick my brain. So I really started 
kind of applying this mindset to everything I'm doing, like just getting started, you know, with the imperfect action, because it's really not going to go as bad as we think it is. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, after coming through, you know, clinical rotations during the internship where you got to do all the prep work before mm-hmm. your rotations and you go into a job where there's so many regulatory things that you have to do a lot of prep work at the start of your shift yep. in the middle it's very odd to go from that to no you don't need to show up with anything you're like wait I don't get to review notes for like an hour before I get on this call like it's odd it's like, it's true stuff. it's so yes and I remember Micah actually saying she's like well yeah she's like handouts those make us feel better because those make us feel more prepared, but it's not necessarily useful for the client. You know, it's kind of like a, a life jacket for us. It's, you know, a security blanket, something that makes (laughs) us feel good. Like we're prepared, but it's the, you know, the patient or the client, they probably don't even, you know, read it. (laughs) Yeah, they don't. No one likes reading a handout. No, No, another handout. Yeah, it's totally true. And thanks so much for sharing that because I, I would say that's the number one fear a lot of people have, especially going into a group coaching model is like they're following other dietitian bosses or people that have programs in other, maybe other spaces. And they're like, oh, I've got to have modules and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, they, but they're also failing to remember that that person was once you where they didn't know what handouts were worth creating. So you have to like do it and then be like, okay, if I was to do this to get again, now it's not like the person that joined lost any value because again, you're like five steps, 10 steps, a thousand steps ahead of them. So anything you said was like, oh my God, life-changing information. So when you add a handout, it's a highlight, but it's not like the whole feature. It's not like, yes. it's you. So mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, I really think so many people get hung up on, I have to have all the modules done. It's like, but why? You might yeah. read them like a million <laughs> times. So just, just start without them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. I cannot emphasize that enough. <laughs> I've definitely, uh, you know, learning as you go, you learn what works and what doesn't. So really you're just expending a lot of time and energy creating things before they happen. Yeah. And part of getting people in a group is getting them on a call. And you talked about having like these friendly conversations with people and feeling like just very comfortable, but, you know, doing sales calls, it's really scary. Heck, pitching your offer on stories is very scary. So can you share how you felt about, you know, pitching your offer for the first time on social media and or pitching your, what you had to offer, like the price and stuff on the sales call? Yeah. So you're exactly right. Pitching my offer on social media for the first time was so super scary and nerve wracking, but really after, you know, the group calls with you guys, I started to shift my mindset. So I started to think instead of me trying to sell something to someone, I'm providing a life-changing service to them. And I imagine myself, like I said earlier, speaking directly to my ideal client and how it's helping them. So I made it more about people I was helping than about my own vanity, like worrying about how I look or how I sound. And now with sales calls, I also really take the time to listen to the individual's problems and think about how I can help them instead of focusing on what I'm going to say and how, how I'm going to sell them something. It's, you know, interesting because I feel like I had a lot of empathy for people. And now I think that, you know, comes through on my calls, which really helps people feel secure and hopeful about the future of their health. And then that makes them, you know, want to make the investment. 
Yes, yes. Such a good framing. You know, a lot of times people think of things too transaction, like I'm walking into Walgreens, I'm going to buy this Snickers. It's not quite mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're changing someone's life. It's not yeah. a small feat. And I think a lot of people forget that they think of it too much like transaction, like when you're really you're really helping someone by them investing in themselves and you're Mm -hmm. delivering them an outcome that's going to change their life. And you just have to like, keep repeating that to yourself over and over. And, you know, we live in a consumption society. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're filling up our tanks with like, depending on your car, you know, 50 to a hundred bucks every two weeks. We buy groceries, we get them delivered. We do Uber. We, we, spend a lot of money on stuff that's not even an investment. It's just more or less things that we realize we we just got to get it done. But this is something that's completely different. So we should frame it with the value that it is. And just remember, people are used to buying stuff. We hand over our credit card a lot. Yes. (laughs) You're exactly right. Yep. Yep. I remember Micah said, she's like, you know, I spend $200 to get my hair done. I think it's worth <laughs> just as much working with the dietitian. I'm like, yeah, that's so true. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So, good. Yeah. Like good color can cost you three, four dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's true. And I don't even blink an eye when I pay that much. So it's, yeah, we're, we're offering something that can really help people. So I try to, to focus on that versus trying to sell something, thinking about how I can help this person. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. And I love ending the episodes on an empowerment note. So can you provide a specific example? You've provided quite a few, not going to lie already, where the dietitian (laughs) boss method has empowered you. Mm -hmm. So not to be super cheesy, but I really feel like this program has been life-changing. I feel like it's really empowered me to value myself and what I have to offer people. Through this program, I've also met so many different women with different nutrition philosophies. And I think it's really made me passionate about nutrition again and reminded me why I got in the field. I think before I was always kind of, even though I'm, I'm an extrovert and outgoing, I still felt like, you know, especially in, in group settings with, you know, maybe other healthcare providers kind of timid and, you know, trying to take up as little space as possible. But now I feel like I'm using my voice and and not afraid to stand tall and take up space and make my voice heard. I feel like knowing that what I have is valuable and important and that I'm helping people. And that's really what keeps me going. So it's empowered me quite a bit. Oh my gosh. I always joke with people in episodes. I need to start an Etsy shop when you guys say something that I'm like, that needs to be on a mug or a (laughs) t-shirt. I'm here to take up space and it should be like, you know, like, I love that. Oh my God. That is big energy, Alex. Thank you. That is big energy. You need to write that down somewhere. I just, I am going to take up space. I am not going to play small. I think more people need to hear that. And I love how you're talking about the transferability into your, your work full time. I think Mm -hmm. that's the other thing, the transfer of the mindset and the belief, I think, oh, so, so important for people to recognize the power of that. Thank you so much for sharing this. This has been a wonderful interview. Thank you. Well, I I have a lot to thank you for too, because you've been a big part of that. Oh, thank you. And can you remind everyone where they can find you on social? Sure. It's at the IBS nutritionist. If you were inspired by this episode, click subscribe 
so we can fill your library with encouragement each week. Every day, your potential clients are searching online for professionals like you with the hopes of finding the right person who can make a genuine impact on their well-being and life. Join my group coaching program and follow the Dietitian Boss Method. You will be surrounded by other amazing dietitian bosses from around the world who will be there to cheer you on, support you, give you feedback, and provide you a spark for new ideas, all while following the proven dietitian boss method. You will be able to share your successes and struggles with people who get it. Book a call with my team to learn how you can become your own boss. 